0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here today, to be back with you. I appreciate Jason filling in and preaching for me uh, last week. And uh, we were with our grandkids and our son and daughter-in-law, so uh, <clears throat> we had a good time out in Utah. And uh, got to watch a lot of Dora the Explorer, so, you know, that's fine. And I learned, backpack, backpack, back, 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 That's what my one-year-old niece can say really well, so she says it a lot. So, but we're glad to be back with you today. We're going to move out of Matthew for a few weeks, these few weeks before Easter, and we're going to look at some of the events surrounding um, Easter, the, the cross. And so, this morning, since we're observing the Lord's Supper, we're going to look at the at, uh, at that Last Supper that Jesus celebrated with His disciples. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, uh, and it will be verses 12 through 26. And the title of the message today is just the Last Supper. On the first day of unleavened bread, when when they sacrificed the Passover lamb... And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is the one, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. <coughs> but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. <coughs> and he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. (coughs) Excuse me. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. <clears throat> the church has two ordinances. It regularly observes ordinances are rituals ordained by Jesus that point to him and remind us of our salvation and, the, and remind us of the need uh, for the price that Jesus paid for our salvation. Ordinance portray the essential elements of the gospel. Uh, And these two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't call them sacraments because sacraments is a word that has the idea of a means of dispensing grace. See, we don't believe that baptism (coughs) and the Lord's Supper dispense grace, but they symbolize and proclaim grace. Um, They are reminders of grace, not dispensers of grace. Grace is not dispensed. It is received by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, the scripture says. (coughs) The ordinance of baptism is a one-time event that happens in the life of the believer after they come to faith in Jesus and are saved. In baptism, two realities are symbolized. The first is the reality that Jesus died and was buried, it's being pictured, and he rose again. He conquered death never to go into a grave again. Uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, conquered death completely. So it, that's the first thing it symbolizes. But secondly, it symbolizes us in Jesus. That we by faith receive God's grace. And when we are saved, we die to our old life of everything apart from Jesus. We bury it and we have a brand new life through ...through through faith in Jesus. It doesn't say, baptism doesn't say, but it symbolizes salvation. It's a meaningless ritual if a person has not placed their faith in Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's meaningless. It's It's an essential confession of faith for those who do believe... Baptism should never be considered an option for the believer. It's an act of confession and love and obedience. It, it identifies us with Jesus. And Jesus commanded those who believe to be baptized. <coughs> now the second ordinance, uh, the Lord's Supper, is something we regularly do uh, in the, uh, together at the body of Christ. Some fellowships do it every week. We do it every five weeks. We observe it to remember Jesus and all he's done to save us. And it reminds us of our salvation that was purchased with the high price of the life of Jesus, the Son of God, the the Son of Man and the Son of God. Jesus gave his body and he shed his blood so that we could justly be forgiven by Almighty God and be saved. We come by the blood. We can't enter the presence of God except through the merit of Jesus Christ. Um. And so, uh, Jesus gave his body, and he shed his blood so that we could be justly forgiven. (coughs) It reminds those who believe that only by receiving Jesus, by being in him, and he in us, that we can be forgiven. Paul, in in the New Testament, over and over uses the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and we are to be in Christ And it's only because we are in Christ and Christ lives in us that we can be saved and forgiven. It's only because He shed His blood for us and His body was given for us uh, that salvation can be ours. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us of this as we share the cup, that we are part of Him. But it also reminds us that we are part of one another. We are part of each other. We can't live in isolation. And independence, But we must live in community. And so we share the supper together as the, as the, uh, as the people of God. Um, and it tells us we, we're not only dependent upon the Lord, but we are dependent on one another. We have been placed into the body of Christ. And so we live in community. That's sometimes why we call the Lord's Supper communion. It's been called communion. And so this morning we want to look at the time when Jesus instituted the supper for his church... And think about what that means for us today. The first Lord's Supper, called the Last Supper, reminds us of this timeless truth. If I can get it up there, it's a, I think it's a timeless truth, but anyway. Faith in Jesus makes us part of, part of his body and united to one another. Faith in Jesus makes us part of his body and united to one another. Now, Jesus was very near the cross on this night that He celebrated this Passover with His disciples. It was the first day of unleavened bread, and Jesus Jesus was uh, getting ready to celebrate this this, uh, important ritual that the Hebrew people had observed for thousands of years. Uh, This Passover, however, would be different Because on this Passover, the very fulfillment of the meaning of Passover would be completed. That Jesus, as the very Lamb of God, would shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. So the disciples asked Jesus, where do you want us to go and prepare the the Passover? And so the scripture says Jesus sent to the disciples, and we know from Luke, it was Peter and John, that he said, he gave them specific instructions. He said, go into the city... And you will see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him to the home that he enters and say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? That was kind of a strange instruction, wasn't it? You know, uh, there are those who have argued uh, that Jesus had a... This was kind of a prearranged signal. This was kind of a prearranged arrangement. Um, uh, I don't think that's true. And I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, uh, they would know the person uh, that they were to follow because it would be a man carrying a jar of water. Now, what made that, you know, different? Because usually it was the women and the children who carried the water uh, in those countries on, in, in that time. And so when they would see a man, they would, they would know that this was the man that Jesus wanted them to follow. And, and then they would meet him, and just whenever they entered the city, they would see him, and they would follow him to this house. To me, it's, it's not like Jesus uh, prearranged this. He could have. I'm not saying he couldn't have. But it's, it's more of his omniscience. He would know that they would happen to run into, the man, into a man when they entered the city, and that was the man they were to follow. I think it's a sign of the omniscience of Jesus. And uh, I don't think it was something arranged. And Mark seems to be emphasizing it was the uh, all-knowing supernatural knowledge of Jesus that enabled him to tell his disciples what was going to happen. So Peter and John went in, they found the man, they followed him to the house, and they, and they did exactly what Jesus had told them. They said to the master of the house, the teacher uh, says, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover? And he showed them the upper room, and there they prepared for the Passover to be uh, celebrated on that evening. And they had to prepare, you know, the elements of the Passover, and they had to get it ready. So they got it ready. Now in Luke we read that on that evening, and it's kind of an interesting kind of, a, um, it's kind of an interesting the way it says in verse uh, seventeen. He came with the twelve. It's kind of a dramatic present there. He's coming uh, on that evening to celebrate this last Passover with his uh, disciples. This last Passover would before it would be fulfilled. And Luke tells us that Jesus said he was uh, looking forward to it with great anticipation. It's because what would immediately follow this meal would fulfill the meaning of the Jewish ritual of Passover that people have been observing for more than a thousand years. And so Jesus said, I'm looking forward to it. But even then, there was a heaviness upon, upon Jesus as he reclined to take the meal. Jesus said, "Truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. One who is eating with me. One of the twelve closest followers of Jesus. One of them would betray him. Someone who would who would uh, eat with him at the table. It was considered especially treacherous to eat with someone and then to betray him, uh, because eating with someone was a was a sign of uh, of uh, closeness and." Uh, and love and so so he says, One of the twelve is going to uh eat with me is going to betray me. The one of the closest men in the world to me. And it's always hurtful. You ever had someone very close to you kinda give it to you in the back? You probably have. We've all had kind of those experiences. Well that was what's gonna happen to Jesus. The twelve were shocked. And they began to question themselves. Maybe Each of them began to question, maybe except one who didn't question, is it I? Is it I? Am I the one that could do such a horrible, treacherous thing? And Jesus said, it's one of the twelve who's dipping the bread into the dish with me. Jesus said this. And then we read a passage that connects the foreknowledge and omniscience of God with the responsibility of man. Jesus said this, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. You see, what was happening, God knew was going to happen. It was written, it was determined, it was decreed, as Luke writes in his gospel. What was going to happen was prophesied and decreed. And God knew it was happening, God ordained it to happen. But that does not decrease Judas' responsibility for it happening. That does not decrease Judas' responsibility for this treacherous betrayal. Jesus said, But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I don't think there's a more frightening thing written in all the Scripture than, than what Jesus just said. Turning your back on Jesus after you followed Him and heard Him and been around Him. Turning your back on Jesus and the salvation He offers you leads to a destiny worse than never being born. Well, as Jesus was celebrating the Passover, He did something no one had ever done before. He took the bread and He gave thanks and the word used is eulogos, which basically means to bless or give thanks. We get our word Eucharist from that. Maybe the Lord's Supper called the Eucharist. He took the bread, he blessed it, he gave thanks for us, and he, and he, and he said something that had never been said. He said, Take, this is my body take, this is my body. I'm sure the room was electrified when Jesus said that because the Passover was basically a ritual. You don't mess with it. You don't change it. But Jesus is here changing it. And he says, take, this is my body. Well, it wasn't Jesus' literal body because Jesus was standing right there, but it symbolized his body. The bread represented his body. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11... uh, as he records this event in the life of Jesus, he said, Jesus says, which is for you. Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Jesus was saying that the bread represents the body that he had taken for them. He had taken his body for them so that he might suffer the penalty for their sins and your sins and my sins in our place. He had taken that body for you and for me, and for those who are present on that night, so that he might die in our place. As believers who are in Christ, we, uh, as, as they receive the bread and as we receive the bread, it symbolizes something that because Jesus took this body for us and we believe in him, we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. We are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. We share bread together as the body of Christ because we are part of one another. We are in him, he is in us, and we are, we are together uh, a community of believers. We are, we are united in his body, we are part of one another. And so Jesus said, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks again and gave it to them, <clears throat> and they all drank. None was excluded. All who are part of him uh, drank from the cup and drink from the cup, and he said, "This is the blood of this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. again, Paul reminds us in uh, First Corinthians that Jesus also said, "Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, as you share in the cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus. It symbolizes that for those who believe. We are reminded continually when we share this cup, when we take this bread, that that it's only through the shedding of the blood of the Son of God that we are truly, justly forgiven for our sins. And as we believe, and as we take this cup, we are reminded that we share in this great sacrifice that He has done for us. We share it together as part of Of his body and part of one another. And he is in us and we are in him. I want to point out a couple things here before we take the supper this morning. First of all, this was personal to Jesus. Now notice the personal pronouns Jesus uses. Jesus says, this is my body. And this is my blood of the covenant. The new covenant that Jesus was inaugurating on that night was being sealed with his own body and his shed blood. He was paying the price. Jesus was bringing it about. It was not some lamb or bull that was dying. It was Jesus himself, the very Son of God, giving his body (coughs) and his blood for our salvation he was initiating a new covenant now the old covenant that was that had been part of their lives from Moses until then was a covenant that no one could keep no one was able to keep that old covenant and so this new covenant which was prophesied in Jeremiah where god puts his law in our hearts and our minds this is the covenant that he was giving uh, that he was inaugurating on that evening God was providing this covenant. Now this is a covenant we cannot modify or change. Uh, We have nothing to do with implementing it even. We can either accept or reject it. That's the only option we have. This is the new covenant that we have a righteousness from God that's not by what we do but by what Jesus has done. Romans 3 says, A righteousness from God apart from the law. Has been made known to which law and prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and punish sin. And that's my words, punish sin. And to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, God, God just doesn't forgive us. It just, just decides that. That's not an arbitrary thing. He forgives us because Christ shed his blood in our place. And that's why he can forgive us. And and Paul says we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So Jesus was initiating this covenant. The covenant that's not by works, the covenant that's not by what we do, but the covenant is what what he did for us that we can receive or reject. This is personal to Jesus. It was his covenant body and His blood. And then I want to point something else out here. The Lord's Supper has both sorrow and joy involved. There's both sorrow and joy involved for believers as we take the supper together. First of all, the sorrow is in the fact that our sin required the very sacrifice of God the Son. The Son of Man to atone for our sins, to die in our on the cross in our place. That's what forgiveness for your sins and my sins required. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. Our sin was that hideous, that horrible, that despicable, that destructive, that dirty. You see, we think sin is nothing. And we compare our sins to other people's sins and and we think somehow we're better than than others. But our sin is not nothing. Our sin placed the very son of God on the cross. That's what our sin did. Tim Keller said, your sins are all your sins always appear smaller than they really are. Our sins required the sacrifice of the son of God. Now why is that? Why why, do you, why, do, why is that true? Because we're sinning against the eternal, holy God. The eternal God of the universe, who is perfectly and totally good and totally just and holy and loving and perfect and pure and eternal. We're sinning against the very God of the universe. And that's what makes our sin despicable. It's because who we sin against. Don't ever forget how horrible your sin is. Don't minimize your sin. It's dehumanizing and destructive and deadly. And our sins could not be atoned. atoned. They could not be paid for justly or justly forgiven without, without the sacrifice of the very life of the Son of God. Our sins sent Jesus to the cross. And so there's a sorrow involved as we take the supper. But there's something else. There is a joy in the supper. And that's because the joy is in the truth that Jesus willingly paid the sacrifice. Jesus willingly made and paid the sacrifice. He didn't have to do it. He was not a victim of circumstance. He could have stopped the process anytime. But He didn't. He paid the sacrifice. He laid down His life for us. He died in our place. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. We already sang it today. Evelina Hall wrote it. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength, is deed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine own and law. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots. And melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When before the throne. I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow Yes there is sorrow as we take the supper but there's joy Sorrow as we remember our sin that required the very sacrifice of the son of God but joy that God was willing to send his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life Your sins can be forgiven They will be forgiven if you will only believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you only will accept the sacrifice that He has provided for you. If you say you don't need it, you're really saying the blood of Jesus is worthless. You're really saying that the sacrifice was unnecessary. And you're denigrating the very thing, the only thing, whereby we can be saved. So the question is Will you be forgiven today? Will you receive and believe and follow the one who shed his blood for you and gave this supper to remind us, all who believe, of the willing and loving price Jesus paid for our salvation? Will you believe? You see, faith in Jesus makes us part of His body and united to one another. If you will believe today, maybe today is the first day you understood this and you said, "I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus. I'm giving my life to Him. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to receive what He has done for me and seek to follow Him from this day forward." you can be forgiven. If you believe today, if you you will believe today, if you do believe today, let's take the supper together. Heavenly Father, we praise You and we thank You for Your love. And we give glory to You that Jesus though our sin was despicable and dirty and destructive and deadly, You took our death upon Yourself and died in our place. Thank You for paying the price, Lord, so that we could be saved. Help us never to forget it. If there's anyone here that hasn't put their trust and faith in Jesus, I pray that today that they would do this. It is in His name that I pray.